Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, Score, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Welcome to DBR Racing Products the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all, they've developed ProPeg mounts that allow you to use TRX450R Nerf bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, 
visit their website at www.dvratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DVR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Barry Hawk, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, how'd your guys' weekend go? Well, my son raced the EMTB race on Friday. Actually, it was a double header for him uh, because one of the rounds got canceled this year. Uh, so they, he raced on Friday, won that, and then he raced again on Saturday and won that race and clinched the uh, XC2 championship. So that that went really well. Um, the race on Sunday did not go good for my guys. Um, Ryder Lafferty had a bite. He DNF'd. He had an engine issue. Uh, and then Cole Whitmer was winning open A. Then he had a clutch issue, so he didn't finish. And Lane Whitmer, he had uh, he didn't have any bike issues. He had a lot of uh, mental issues, I would say, of not focusing properly and couldn't stay off the ground. So it was not a good weekend for the dirt bike side. Wow. Sorry to hear that, but, uh, yeah, part of it. That does happen. You know, it does happen. Um, you know, something really big happened in your life and, um, I've seen it on social media. I don't get a lot of input to things like that. Can you give me some background how all that broke down for you? Yep. So I knew I was on the the ballot to um, you know, to get to go in the AMA and I honestly didn't know the AMA Hall of Fame. I didn't know how it all worked. I received a few phone calls from some people that kind of filled me in on how it all worked and you have to be in the work for the AMA or you have to be a life member of 25 years or more to be eligible to vote. So um, there was really, I mean, I didn't go out politic and, Hey, vote for me. Hey, vote for me. I mean, GNCC put some stuff out there. And uh, I mean, it's really, at that point, it's out of my hands. There's really nothing I can do. Uh, And then at snowshoe, the last GNCC round, before summer break for anybody that's listening that's ever been to snowshoe would understand this cell service there is it's it's horrible and i was walking it was sunday morning of the bike race i was walking from the village down to our semi and my phone rang and i'm like wow i can't believe my phone's ringing so i pulled out of my pocket to look at it and it was just a number i'm like it's a tell of course it'd be a telemarketer and then i'm like you know Phone never rings here. I'm not going to answer it. So I'm like, hello. And he said, hey, this is this Barry. I said, yep, this is Jack from the AMA. Just want to let you know that uh, everything's been counted. And uh, we just want I just want to let you know that you've been elected to go into the Hall of Fame. And at that point, I, I pull my phone away and I'm looking at this number and I'm like, are you messing with me? And he said, <laughs> Nope, this is Jack from the AMA. He said, this is Barry, right? I said, yep. He said, yeah, I'm just calling to let you know, you know, everything's been done and, and you know, you'll get a lot more phone calls in the weeks following up to this or following up uh, with everything to come and what, what needs to be done and stuff. And I'm like, 
okay. And again, I pulled my phone away. I'm like, okay, this isn't a joke. And he's like, nope, no joke. This is Jack from the AMA. And he said, this needs to be, uh, you know, kind of kept quiet. He said, but I just want to congratulate you and, you know, amazing career, everything you've done. And just, uh, you know, want to let you know that kind of keep it, keep it under wraps for now. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, you'll be getting some more phone calls and a lot more stuff to follow. And I'm like, okay, well, great. It was a very short phone call, but other than the last thing he said, you know, just keep us under wraps. I'm calling all everybody that has went in. He didn't tell me who else, but he said, I'm calling everybody now to let them know. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. I said, okay. He said, but don't tell anyone. I said, okay. So I walked down to our semi and I'm like, kid on christmas just you know it's like i gotta tell someone but i'm not supposed to 10 minutes later my son comes son comes walking up and i'm kind of you know i'm happy go lucky and i'm like hey i gotta tell you something but you can't tell anyone he's like what i'm like i made it into the hall of fame i just got a phone call he's like no and i'm like yep and so you know he was high-fiving me and stuff and then five minutes later my wife and daughter walked out and i'm like hey i gotta tell you something can't tell anyone so it was pretty neat. Um, you know, that that whole experience, how it all played out uh, was really it was really neat for me how, you know, I was in the middle of nowhere and got a phone call. And let me know I was going in. So it was pretty neat. Did you ever have an idea that you would be in the Hall of Fame? No, no, not until I knew my name was, you know, I was up, you know, whenever the link had went out. I don't know, I guess that would have been maybe early June. And, you know, the names that was on there, and there's a bunch of names on there. And, I mean, just being around it forever, I knew most of the names. But there was a few names that I didn't really know. So I kind of read their bio on them and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is you know, pretty – I don't think I'll ever get in because, I mean, there's a lot of great people on here. And I, I don't even know how many they take in. If there's a limit or not, I don't know that part. But – I just thought, well, it's just neat to be on there. You know, my name's associated with these people. So, you know, that that's where I was at in the beginning. So, and I think there was three weeks or two or three weeks where, you know, people could submit their votes. And whenever it came out, you know, people would start asking me at the race, like, how'd oh, you vote? This is the race before snowshoe. How'd you vote? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I voted for myself. Of course I did. <laughs> It's only one vote. It's not going to mean much, but yeah, I did it. I mean, why shouldn't I? So, but there was, I, I don't know any final numbers, but yeah, there must've been several people that, you know, put my name in there and I appreciate my hats off to them for letting me go in. It means a lot. That's, that's so incredible. <clears throat> you know, I got to talk to Gary Denton right after he got, you know, his, his call. Yep. Which I want to, I, I don't want to, I want to ask this question, but I don't want to ask it and make it sound negative. Uh, did you go in as an ATV guy or a motorcycle guy? Good question. So like Jack had told me on that initial phone call about, um, I'll get some phone calls and, you know, the following weeks and, you know, with information stuff needs to be done and all that. So it was probably, so that would have been at the end of June, that phone call from my, the initial phone call. So fast forward to, I don't know, probably early August, mid-August, I started getting some phone calls and emails and texts from Paula at the AMA. And uh, 
we had went back and forth with ring size and different information, jacket size, all that stuff. Then one day she called me and she's like, Hey, we just need to kind of get the ball rolling with anything that you would like to loan to the museum. And I said, well, yeah, I actually have some questions. Um, can I, I have an ATV. I actually have a couple ATVs. I'm, I'm, but you know, I'm sure you would only want one to go in. And she said, well, unfortunately we don't have room for an ATV. And I said, okay, well, I have the bike that I won my championship on. It's in my trophy room, the upstairs of my garage. I mean, I, you know, I can bring that out and some other stuff that I can bring out. And she was like, okay. So several phone calls later and, um, I had actually driven out there. It was a day before the actual ceremony. I drove out there that day with my bike, rolled it into the museum. And, uh, I didn't get to meet Paula that day, but I'll skip through a bunch of other stuff. But once the ceremony, once everything was done, the Thursday night and everything's winding down and we were downstairs of the AMA museum and it was just myself and everybody else and that had went in and their families and a bunch of AMA people. And I don't know, there's probably 50 people down there, but anyhow, Paula and Joe Bromley, who had helped me on the bike side forever, and Rob Dingman, the president of AMA, they come up and they were talking to, to me for a minute. And then Joe Bromley, he kind of walks away. And then Paul's like, hey, um, you know, we got uh, there's there's some stuff that's came up. And, you know, we I, I screwed up. I can um, I can we can we can make room for your ATV to get in here. And I, she said, if you have one that you can get out here. I said, absolutely. I said, let me get through tonight, get through this uh, race this weekend, and then, uh, you know, the next week or so, I can do some uh, stuff to figure it out, to get it back out there, or get it out there, and she said, yep, no problem. Rob's like, yeah, man, that'd be great to have it in here. So then, at that point, I started thinking, well, that's pretty neat that I'll be the only, there's only one other ATV in there, which is Denton's, um, so I will be the second ATV to go in there, but i will be one of the only people to have an ATV and a dirt bike in there. Carmichael has four different bikes in there, but, you know, there's not not a lot of people that would be able to say, you know, hey, well, there's only two people who can say I have an ATV in the museum, myself and Denton. So that, that'll be pretty neat when I get to take that out there, which there won't be any big ceremony. There won't be anything, you know, go on really other than taking it in there. But still, it'll be neat to have it in there because – I feel like, I mean, seven ATV championships and only one bike championship. I still love ATVs. That's where, you know, if I had an ATV and dirt bike sitting here in my garage and a bunch of buddies are going riding tomorrow, I would choose to ride the ATV before I would the bike. So um, I'm an ATV guy at heart. That's, that's pretty awesome. I hope that you'll post pictures of that when they do put that in there because <clears throat> one of the biggest things is, you're a seven-time ATV champion. The I think the bike so solidifies your talent. But you yeah. to win seven is incredible. Right. And yeah, then to then you're opposite of everybody else. Right. Most of the guys win a title on a bike and then get on an ATV. You right. won all those ATV titles and then got on a motorcycle and you know a lot of us were like well why would he do that that doesn't make any sense you know that's what is he just out there having a good time and then 
you hear it through the grapevine. No, dude, he's freaking badass. You know, he's going for the, he's racing with the real guys, the big boys. And you're like, wow, that's incredible. So uh, yeah. from my standpoint, you know, back then listening to the stories, we didn't have the same social media. We didn't have the same ties. So you'd win a race or you'd do something good. And it would be months before we would get all the information. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was a lot more convenient uh, on the bike side because you had cycle news, which was weekly. So you knew what was going on in the bike world. But the ATV world, yeah, was I mean, I didn't know what happened out west until I saw a magazine a couple months later. Right. So, yeah, it was just, you know, other than I knew when High Point ATV Motocross was coming in town, I wanted to do it. So I'd get to go race Gary Denton, Tim Farr, Shane Hitt. I'd get to go race against those guys. So I knew what happened at the High High Point ATV MX round. But other than that, I really, yeah, it was, it was a long time until I would get some information. How old were you when you stopped racing the ATV? So I would have been... Twenty-seven. Yeah, I was twenty-seven. And how old were you when you won your your uh, XC one title on the ATV? Uh, that would have been I was on the bike. On the bike, I was thirty-one. So it only took you four years. Well, really, probably three years to transfer to a title on a motorcycle. Well. N- on paper, that's what it looks like. But I had raced from 93. Uh, on I started racing the dirt bike in 93 in the four-stroke B class on Sundays at GNCCs. So what I had, uh, seven, eight, I actually had nine years of racing under my belt on the dirt bike. But in 93, when I started racing the dirt bike, I went to my ATV mechanic, Tony Kellner, and I went to, uh, got, we got with the guys at Bromley Suzuki, and they were like, yeah, we'll bring you a dirt bike to race on Sunday, um, because we just wanted to do it, well, Bromley's wanted it to get some exposure, get their name out there, and they provided me with great equipment. I wanted to do it, myself and Tony wanted to do it, just to help me on, I, it was, it would help, it was helping me be a better ATV rider. I was kind of cross training. That was the initial plan in 93. We didn't even set out to do all the rounds. We were just going to do maybe the majority of them to see how it went just to get more seat time for GNCC. So that's how it started in 93, but I ended up winning the B class that year, ended up riding all the rounds and winning B. And then the next year I moved to the A class and I won that I don't remember how many races in the A class, but I end up winning the four stroke A championship. And it was like, I just kept progressing on the bike. So that's why it, I didn't just, when I was done racing ATVs, I went full time on a dirt bike, but I had seven years of build up to help me stop racing the ATV and focus solely on the, on a dirt bike. Right. If, you if you're following what I'm, what I'm making sense there. Can you brighten your screen? Yeah. Um. Actually, it's getting dark out. I'm going to turn some lights on. Okay. Let there be light. Is that better? 
That's perfect. Are those okay. all your helmets in the in the back there? Uh yes, I have. I don't know. I guess. You see. Holy crap! Yeah. So <clears throat> they they start over here, which is one of my initial helmets, and then it goes from my first painted helmet all the way up the bottom row here, and then it goes up, and it starts going back this way. That is not all of my helmets, but it is the the vast majority of them. Wow. They're, I, I'm missing, I think I counted before, I'm missing somewhere between 12 and 15 of them. Some of them, my first helmet I had, I mean, who knows what happened to that. And then actually I'm missing my third helmet. And then there were some helmets I donated. There was some, I remember there was one I gave to the uh, Darren Nacarado, the next uh racing i remember giving them one years ago so they it should still be up in their possession up in new york um but yeah so i'm missing i'm missing several of them but i still think it's pretty neat whenever somebody walks in the garage and they're like wow look at all those helmets that's pretty cool right that is you were racing atvs and tony was helping you out a lot and doing a lot of good stuff for you, along with all your other sponsors. I don't want to take away from them. When you tra- when you decided to race the bikes full-time, did you have a support ride with a factory, or did you roll into a factory ride? Well, what happened was Bromley Suzuki helped me from 93 to 97. And from 93 to 96, I had won B and A class championships, won several races. And then in 97, I switched classes in 97 and went to 250A, which is now known as the XC2 class. It's the second fastest class. And I was riding, I switched from a four stroke to a two stroke. And Bromley's helped me that year in 97. But at the first race of the year in Palatka, Florida, the I, I actually there was a practice day before that I crashed on the ATV. There was a big what was it? I don't even know what the name of the track is called now. Um, but we called it the it was just the Ocala GNCC. But there was a motocross track there, huge tabletop, and I remember there was a massive gust of wind came and it pushed me. I got really sideways, landed on a downside. Anyhow, long story short is I, I took a hard get off, and when I hit the ground put my hands down and I mean, it bent the quad up and I was beat up. And I mean, the quad was new, the, all my gear, everything was new. I mean, I, I just, I ripped pants, Jersey. I was hurting all over, ended up racing the next day and I won, but I was in a lot of pain. I tried to ride again the next day on a dirt bike. That would have been my first ride in 250A or now known as XC2. You know, a lot of eyes on me, you know, Barry's moving up the XC2. And I tried to ride that day, but my wrist just hurt too much. I just, too much pain. So end up driving back to Pennsylvania, getting an x-ray, and I broke my scaphoid. So looking back on, I was disappointed because I couldn't ride the bike the next day after the ATVs. But I still, I, I guess what I overlook a lot of times, I'm sitting here thinking out loud about it, was I broke it. And then I raced the next day and I still won on the ATV. And, but I'm mad because I didn't get to race the day after that for three more hours in the Florida sand because my wrist was broke. But I ended up, I had surgery once I got home, got a screw put in the scaphoid and 
I raced, I think it was about two and a half weeks later, I would have raced the Loretta Lynn's GNCC. And I remember racing I, and it hurt so bad. I remember I had tears in my eyes. I was in so much pain, but I, I remember finishing sixth, which salvaged my ATV championship that year. But I would, the plan was like, oh, you're going to ride, you know, 258, you're going to ride, you're going to ride the next day. And it was just my wrist. I mean, after surgery, it was swollen, sore. So I missed a bunch of the bike rounds early that season, the day after the ATVs, because my wrist was so sore. So I really didn't do much at all on in the beginning of that 97 season on the bike. I ended up winning a championship on ATV, but once we got into our summer break, I got healthy after the summer break. Wrist was good. And I remember the last three GNCCs of that year, I ended up winning all three of them in 250A, and I got like sixth overall at all three rounds. But, which was great, you know, I'm happy, you know, I'm kicking butt on the ATV, winning that, winning a championship, and I'm finally back on a dirt bike, but I'm even better than I was previously. Well, at the end of that season, when all that was going great, I got a call from Joe Bromley and he said, Hey, that, you know, there, there was, there's three brothers that run the shop and they had, they had family, you know, over there, that time frame, the six, seven years of those guys helping me, um, they, their brothers got married, they got kids. So, you know, right. family was, was there. So they weren't going to be able to help me in 98. Totally understood. There was no hard feelings. Um, they just weren't going to be able to, you know, to give me what I needed because I was getting better. So at the end of that 97 season, as good as it went at the end, I'm like talking to my wife and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to race the bike next year. And, I, but you know, I'm still racing the ATV and she's like, well, nobody wants to help you. You know I mean? And at that point I was wor still working probably 40 hours a week, a full-time job. She was working. We really didn't have enough money to go out and buy a new dirt bike and hire a mechanic i mean we i could have got a dirt bike but like to hire to do it properly we didn't right. have enough money to go do that so i'm like well i just won't race in 98 on a dirt bike well luckily at that time uh i got a call from randy hawkins and yamaha said hey we're coming out with the yz 400 we are looking for somebody to, to race a thing randy said i'm gonna race it and we want someone else to race it so at the time, I'm like, well, you know, I went through the numbers and what they was going to be able to help me with. And I was like, this is a factory Yamaha right on Randy's team. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, let's do it, man. But the there was a catch. It was I had to race the pro class. They didn't want me in 250A. They had this new YZ400. And they wanted that, you know, to get it in front of eyes and GNCC because Randy was doing a lot of the Enduro. So anyhow, I signed up to do it. And, uh, you know, kind of right place, right time. And my results, everything just kind of lined up. And that's how I ended up with my factory Yamaha deal was because Bromley's was leaving. Yamaha was looking for somebody. And at the time, I didn't know this. But knowing what I know, how the industry is, they got me for virtually nothing to go out there and promote and get this YZ400 in front of people. And I'd done a ton of local races on it. And so it was probably a pretty good, a really a good move and a really cheap move for them back East to get, you know, get people out there. But I remember that bike, whenever I first got it, it was, it was really neat because <laughs> it was the new high end four stroke, but also it was, uh, 
the carburetor on it. It was kind of a nightmare to get the thing tuned in right. But regardless, you know, it went it went decent. Um, it went decent in '98. Had several top tens, um, probably a couple top fives, and then I'd done the same exact thing in '99, but my results got better on the bike. And I should know this. I should have done some research even a week or two ago about this 99 season, but I do know my results were better. I didn't win anything on the bike, but they had got better. I think I might've got one or two podiums that 99 season on the bike, but I was still racing the ATV at that point and winning races and won a championship. But at the end of that 99 season, that's when Yamaha came along and said, Hey, you're, we think you're still, you know, on the upswing on his bike side, we want to pay you enough to where or what would it take to not race ATV? So I kind of done some soul searching. Is that what I want to do? Um, do I want to chase this? Do I want to be a bike guy? I really, you know, I mean, there's a million things going through my head. And once I gave them some numbers and they came back and said, okay, we'll do X, Y, and Z. And we kind of agreed to some stuff. And then uh, I said, okay, well, I'm going to hang up the boots on this ATV thing and go chase my dirt bike career and see if I can make something of it. But I also, in the back of my mind at that point, I was thinking I'm young enough that if things don't work out on the bike for a couple of years, I probably can still come back on the ATV side and probably, I I don't think I, at that point, I don't think in my head, I was thinking I'll come back and dominate, but I probably thought, I don't know, two, three years out of it, come back to it. And I probably could still be a podium guy, maybe get some wins. That was kind of my backup plan if the bike thing fell apart. But, you know, luckily it didn't. I was able to keep things rolling and and progress and end up winning some races and winning the championship. So, you know, and people ask me, would you change this? Would you have done this different? I mean, honestly, there's nothing that I would have done different. There's nothing I would have changed. You know, there was ups and downs through it you know i thought it was the end of the world whenever bromley's was couldn't help me i'm thinking man i can't believe i've done everything at this point and now the rug's getting yanked out from under me but again that's what i thought at that point now i understand family is more important than this racing and they was going to focus on the family so i get it now but at the time i was kind of like man he'd done so much good for me but i can't believe they're backing out on me now but that isn't really the way it happened but you know that's but no, ultimately, change a thing. But ultimately, it was the best thing for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Because if I was, I mean, I still maybe if they would have helped me another season, maybe I would have ended up with a Suzuki rod. I mean, I don't, I don't know that part of it, but you know, they were done. And if Yamaha wouldn't have came out with that, and there are so many different angles of this, I could, I could tell you, like Yamaha, it was the right time because if they wouldn't have came out with that four stroke, they may have not, you know, they, they might not have wanted me because they didn't didn't really have room they already had guys on the bike on the two-stroke side that was dominant at that time racing so you know they may not want to do something suzuki might have maybe not i mean who knows it just it all ended up working out for me and it was it's it's been great that's that's incredible you know when when you were at the hall of fame what were the emotions that you were dealing with well, the so the the actual ceremony was Thursday night. 
So on Tuesday, I had a deadline of the Tuesday before the ceremony that I could give them a speech written out and they could put on a teleprompter or they could, I could just wing it and, you know, get up there and just say whatever. And I thought about doing that, but my biggest fear was I would forget someone that was crucial to me. And then once you get, you're done with it, you can't say, Hey, time out guys, I got to come back up there. So I was worried that I would forget someone just by winging it. So I sat down on a Tuesday before the ceremony and I sat in my garage here where I'm talking to you and I got on my phone and I started typing and I had a limit of 10 minutes. That's what the lady told me, you know, try to keep it 10 minutes or less. So I sit there and I type and type and type and type. And I, it, it probably took me a couple hours to, from where I started, like the stuff that I thought was super important from beginning to end. So once I get it done, I read through it. Okay. I thought it made sense. It makes perfect sense in my head, but trying, when you start reading it out loud, stuff yes, starts I like, not, yes, I <laughs> yeah. so I hit my stopwatch. I start reading it and I look down at my watch and I'm at 12 and a half minutes and I'm only halfway through it. Oh <laughs> man. So I stop the watch and I go back through and I got to start deleting stuff, but you can't just delete paragraphs because stuff all tied together so you got to start tying stuff anyhow i my second time i go to do it i'm at 12 minutes and i still have a little bit to go i was close to the end so i had to delete more stuff so my third try at it i got it down to about eight and a half minutes so i'm like that's it i sent it to my daughter i said proofread this does everything make sense to you and she made a couple little changes and sent it back to me so to me, this whole deal, that was the toughest, hardest thing was writing that speech and making sure I tried to tie everything in together and not forget anyone and make it sound like, and one of the tougher things was the Bromley Suzuki thing. Like I didn't want it to come off as they dropped me because again, at the time I wasn't mad at them, but I was just disappointed. I felt like there could have been more there, but I didn't want it to come off on the speech as they dropped me when they shouldn't have. So I kind of had to tiptoe through it because I still have a great relationship with those guys. I'm grateful for everything they've done. So that was tough. But, uh, you know, bottom line is that was the toughest thing for me. Um, that was Tuesday. Wednesday, I drove out there, dropped off the bike. Um, and when I got there, the one lady said, oh, about being here before. And I said, you know, it's only three hours from my house, but I'm embarrassed to say this. I have driven by there. It's on I-70 right outside of Columbus. I have driven by there probably 80 times in my life, but I have never stopped. And I told her, I said, because I've never stopped because I'm either in a hurry to get to a race or it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm driving home from a race. So that's why I never stopped. But I was there on that Wednesday. I start walking, take my bike in and we cover it up and I'd start walking through there and looking at all the stuff and how everything's organized. I'm like, wow, this is pretty neat. And then when I got to the end of it, um, well, have you been there? No. Okay. So it's like, I have been at the NASCAR hall of fame and it's, it's almost identical to that. I've not been to the NFL or any other hall of fames other than AMA and NASCAR. But when right at the end you walk in and it's like a, almost like a cylindrical room. And they have all the names on the wall of everybody in there in a gold plate. And I start looking and I'm like, wow, look at those names. Like, wow, you know, like Bob Hanna. And then 
like, wow, look at that. Like Gary Denton and, you know, just saw Jeremy McGrath and Ricky Carmichael, you know, the names that I wouldn't know the best or history of. I'm like, wow, look at this. Like, this is unbelievable. Then it hits me like my name is going on this wall. And I'm, I got goosebumps right now saying it. Like, that's when it kind of hit me. Like, it's a pretty neat deal. So that that was the probably the, uh, one of the neatest moments for me. Um, the most hectic moment was writing that speech. But then, so fast forward to Thursday night, the actual ceremony. Um, Grant Langston went first. So he's up there talking. And I wasn't even nervous at that point. I wasn't anxious um but i a couple times like he's up or talking i'm like oh, i'm next i'm next i'm like i you know thinking i start my mind starts going i'm like i i can't focus or think too much about this get too worked up so i'm just like oh yeah i like make myself think of something different i'm like oh yeah we gotta leave tomorrow morning go to gncc race so i'm purposely taking my mind off of what's about to happen so grant gets done and they call me up there and i'm standing on the stage and terry cunningham comes up who is in the Hall of Fame for racing dirt bikes, um, Doros. He's up there and he's reading his stuff off the teleprompter, has the ring in his hand about the hand to me. And at that point, it's the only other time where I was like, holy crap, like my heart was about to pound out of my chest at that point. So I get the ring and then I have to go up to the podium and start talking. But once I started talking, I was good after that. Like, there was no nerves, nothing like that. I was I was good because I had read that speech so many times in my garage and rehearsal that morning, and it, it it all went good. So that was kind of um, you know that was really neat, and and just to get to go up there and be on the same stage as Grant Langston and Rita Coombs and Travis Pastrana and and Ryan Dungey. It was it's just I'm like wow, this is it's just it's wow to me. It's crazy. That that is pretty crazy. Um, your children were there. Yes. You yeah, it was why. really my children, my wife, my mom, uh, the Bromley. Couple of the Bromley brothers were there. My eight Tony, my ATV mechanic, he couldn't make it. Um, it was a really long drive for him, so he couldn't make it. Um, some of my good friends were there, Jeff Miller and my bike mechanic, Doug Whitmer was there. And luckily for us, I mean, it was a three hour, two and a half hour drive for most of us, Craig Greenwood in the ATV world. I mean, he's helped me. He's been there around ATVs. I mean, he, he could still build you a 250 R with his eyes closed. So a lot of those people got to be there and, and be part of it. And, you know, it's, they were all critical or important to me, um, to help me get there. But the, the one moment that I was kind of like an oh crap moment was I think it was about three weeks before the ceremony it, it, it initially was planned for the Friday night so my issue at that point on that Friday night was that is the same time as my son was going to race the e-bike at the GNCC and he's going after this XE2 championship. So I'm th in my head, I'm thinking, oh, man, does this, this my boy miss me going into the Hall of Fame to go race? Or does he miss his race to come see me? And in my head, I'm thinking, well, this doesn't come around very often. He probably should come here. But we, had, we didn't talk about it. So 
and my daughter had already planned on on being there that Friday night because she took a new job. She lives in North Carolina. She has being new at this new job. She doesn't have much vacation time, but she had it all worked out. I get a phone call from Paula, and she says, hey, we're talking about moving the ceremony to Thursday night. And I said, okay, why? And she said, well, there's a lot of factors in play, but would you be opposed to it? I said, I am not opposed at all. I am 100% for moving it to Thursday night, simply for the pure fact that I, my son can go race his bike, and dad can be there to help him in case something goes wrong on Friday. So I'm all for it. Okay, great. Then I hang up with her. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. He gets what he wants. I get what I want. And then I'm like, oh, no, my daughter on her vacation time. So I call her. I'm like, hey, can you get another day off? And she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, can I like talk to your boss? Like, I, you got to be there. And she's like, I'm going to try everything I can. So fast forward, luckily, I don't know how she pulled it off, but she ended up making it there about an hour before it went off. So kids were there, family was there, and it was, you know, it would, I'd be disappointed if she wouldn't have been able to make it because of work, but um, she was there. It was all good. It was, you know, went off, went great, and got to share a great moment with the family. I know how special it'd be, be if my wife was there with me. I know that our history isn't as long as yours and your wife. She's been there through the tough times and, and the, the bumps, the bruises, the breaks, the losses, the wins. <clears throat> what yeah. what if, if you spoke to her about it, what did she say and how, how did she take it? Well, what happened is, what, if, you re- if we go back a little bit, when I said I sent my speech to my daughter to proofread it, I also sent that speech to my wife, but I purposely deleted the last couple paragraphs about her. I didn't want her to know what I was going to say. I let my daughter read her part, but I didn't let my wife read her part. So I sent it to my daughter. She sent back a couple things, and a couple of her things was maybe put this, like she reworded some stuff about my wife, like maybe say this part of it or say it this way. So when I sent it to my wife and she replies back, oh, it looks good. You know, I'm not good at editing this stuff. Um, and I'm like, she's like, but it's good. And then five minutes later, she texts me and you forgot me with the little crown emoji. So I replied back, I didn't forget you. I just purposely deleted you. So you didn't know what I was going to say. So anyhow, that, uh, and later we, there's more to that. Like I had to prove to her that I wasn't messing with her, that I forgot her. Like it, she really was in there. So I got to read all of that at the, at the induction. And, you know, she was in tears when I was reading it about her. I almost broke up reading about her, but yeah, I mean, she's been there. I have 98 national wins. I have 68 GNCC wins. That's bike and ATV combined. And of all my wins, there's only one win that she wasn't there for. It was before we had ever got together. But um, once we got together, that's when I start winning races and championships. And I mean, she's been there through all the ups and downs, the broken bones, the, you know, bike, something broke on a bike. And she's very, very competitive. And there was at times where later in my career on a dirt bike, when I wasn't having fun and it was a job and then. You know, it was a crappy race and 
I'm riding around in sixth place and she wanted me to win more than I wanted to win at points. I th- I tell people because when I would come in to pit, she'd be yelling at me, you need to get him. You got to go now. Like, what are you doing back here in sixth place? So she's been in my <laughs> corner and it's been, it's been, uh, you know, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't, I mean, I probably would have won some races, but I wouldn't be where I'm at with her without her. So it's been, you know, it's, it's been amazing. And, you know, I've been around the sport forever. I've seen guys come along and, you know, end up getting a girlfriend or a wife and step away from the sport. And I've seen some that have progressed. And I luckily I was one of those guys that progressed whenever she came along. So because she was all in, you know, whatever, need to train, eat right, do whatever. She was behind me. So it was, you know, it's been it's been a great run. So I just think the family aspect of you seem like a devout, devoted father, husband, and to get the reaction from the family um, is so important to me because if, if something like that was ever to happen to me, those are the people that I would want there because, you know, the the racers or the other people, yeah, they're important. But the sacrifice that these children have made and you know my wife didn't get to go to the same amount of races didn't put up with the years of the abuse she sees the aftermath of it you know she gets me on the other side of it and understands you know a a large portion of it Uh, and she saw a little bit of it but not all of it and um it, it just it, it would just mean the world. I mean, your son still races or races. Um, yep. As a hall of fame, as a hall of famer, and you turn around and you see your son in, in, in a off-road motorized sport, you know, the e-bike, the it's motorized. So you hit the ground just as hard. Right. Um, right. Uh, how, how do you feel about his career and what he's doing? I think it's great. Um, I will say that a lot of people that kind of know me and know my back background, it's kind of more like friends there or maybe people I've grown up with or went to school with that I run into and they, they're like, well, what's talent, you know, your kids and, you know, does your daughter ride a race? I said, Nope. She had a mini bike, rode it a little bit. Wasn't interested. Was liked horses and, but no, was never into dirt bikes or ATVs. What about your son? And I just had this conversation with a guy last week and he was, I said, no, I said, I have a, there's a 125 sitting here. I'm touching it right now. It's his 125, but he's not really interested in riding it, but he wants to ride the e-bikes and he has, well, he's probably on his ninth e-bike now. I mean, he's had factory rides with gas, gas e-bikes and Cannondale and high bike. So He's done really good at it, but he's only 18 years old. So, and winning this XE2 championship, I mean, that's the second, the second best class. So it's neat for him to go out there and do it. But a lot of the people where, where I was going with that initial story was they don't understand why he doesn't want to ride ATVs or dirt bikes. And I'm like, I'm okay with him not doing that. And I'm like, but you know, why? I don't understand. He would have to be good at it. I said he might be good at it, but I'm good with him he doesn't have to do this. 
I don't want him to feel like he has to do it because dad did it. And I have some other friends that are very successful and not in racing. Well, they're successful in racing, but they're successful in other avenues in business, like really, really successful. And the kids, it's like they're kind of interested in the family business, but it's almost like they really, they don't want to follow in dad's footsteps and doing it. And those guys understand where I'm at. It's like the kids don't have to do it just because someone thinks they should do it and they don't want to do it. It's okay. As long as they're successful and they're a good person and they want to do something like Talon's doing the e-bike thing, I'm good with it. I want to support him. He's going to the races, the families at the races and the atmosphere. It's like, you know, I mean, if, if he was racing and I'm on one side of the track and he gets a flat tire, he could probably run up. It doesn't matter who it is. He could run up to someone and say, hey, do you have a tire? Do you have a wheel I could use? They're going to help him change it and get him back going, the same as I would on a dirt bike or an ATV. I mean, there was a guy on the starting line. An example of that is at the starting line on the 1 p.m., the quad pro race, they interviewed me about the Hall of Fame. I got done. I watched the start, and it was, I don't know, third, fourth row, fifth row. And I see a guy, he's kicking. It was a Honda. You know, he's kicking it, kicking it, kicking it. And I see another guy run up. I don't know who the guy is, but I just run up. And me and this other guy look at each other, and we take off pushing this guy to try and bump start it. And the guy's like, yelling, you know, we're not starting. I mean, he's as we're pushing him, I'm telling him, put it in second, third gear. He was trying to bump start it in first. And anyhow, they end up, we push him so far that we got tired. Another group of guys jumped in. But that's just like the family aspect that you're referring to, like, there's competitiveness, but there's the family nature of it. Like everybody wants to go have a good time and help each other out. And my family wants to go to the races. My son wants to do this. I'm going to do everything I can to support him. And, you know, luckily he won, actually he won, what is it? Five of the last six rounds and clinched the championship two races early. So, you know, he's talking about that. Should I move up to pro class? And I'm like, on one hand, I want him to, but on the other hand, I don't want him to because he's only 18. He's racing guys, would be racing guys in that pro class on the E-Mountain bike that are, I mean, Charlie Mullins is 34, 35. Um, the guy beating Charlie, I'm going to say he's 28, 30. So those guys in the bicycle world, those guys are kind of, Charlie might be a little bit of past prime, but they're kind of in their prime and Talon's still really, really young and has a lot to learn and a lot of fitness to get to where those guys are at. So I don't want him to get frustrated by moving up too soon. And I want him to keep having fun at it, but it's like, I'm kind of like stuck right now on what to do, what class he should do, because I do want him to move up to pro, but I don't, again, on the other hand, which you would understand that, like you don't want him to move up too soon and get frustrated and lose interest in it. So you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. That's the freaking biggest thing is is that when when the when the young ones transition into the pro class, you you try to convince them there's no going back, and this is way harder than it was to go from B to A. It's not yes, the same, absolutely, right? You know, you, you have men that with children that need to feed their family, and that. Right aspect of it 
changes going into the first turn, changes how hard they're going to ride. And if you get in their way, they're going to move you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. They just, uh, the kids just, some of them just don't understand that it's, you're not racing with your buddies anymore. Yeah. You may know good. You may know that guy. You may shoot the shit with that guy. You may have a great time with that guy. But when you go into the first turn, that guy ain't your buddy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're right. And that's why that's why I'm struggling with it right now. Um, I don't know. I, what I'm hoping happens is Gas Gas is coming out with a new model bike. And I hope that we get that in time for the next race. Then he can race that in XC2 and kind of develop and see where that bike stands if it's good better even with what he's been racing um and to see where he's at so i think it'll be a last minute decision if we have the new gas gas e-bike he's probably going to stay in xc2 if not he might go to xc1 but the good thing is if he does go to xc1 he doesn't have to stay in that for next season he can actually go back to xc2 he would just be doing the last two rounds of this year in xc1 so that's why it's like it's not like, uh, oh my gosh, well, this is a life decision. Like, it's not at that point. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. But, you know, we'll we'll see. And it's it'll be, he moves up to that next class. I mean, you know, you've been around this racing forever. Like, it's that's the hardest step. Like, it's been not easy moving up, but each one, when you move up, when you're going in from XC2 to XC1, it's like what you said, like, yeah, high five, buddy, on the start line. After that, it's like, you better get out of the way because I'm coming by. And, if and, not, I'm moving you. And your training has to go from where you are up two levels. You're, you can't just yes. go one. you got to go two levels. Yes. And your intensity, your, your – as a young person, I think it's harder because you have to devote so much to it. You know, yes, focus. yeah, absolutely. No girl, I mean, really, you shouldn't be going out and with your girlfriend, you shouldn't be going out with your buddy. You need to be training and learning every aspect of whatever it is you're doing at the pro level. It's wow. yep. that's a big yep. step for an 18 year old. I know, I know. That's why I'm kind of like, you know, I'd on one hand, it'd be neat. Uh, but on because he can just do these two races, then still go back next year. But on the other hand, is I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it's good because I do know he has that competitive gene um, that I have, and his wife or my wife has his, his mom has as well. Like he doesn't like to get beat. So in everything he's done up to this point, like he's been working harder than the other guys he's racing. There's it's obvious to see he's been working harder. He's in way better shape than they are, but is he in better shape than all the XC1 guys? No, but he would have to, like you said, eat, sleep, breathe that if that's what he wants to do. And I don't know that I, I don't know that I want him to do that right now because of there's so many because of, but because the main reason is because. I want him to enjoy life right now. And the other thing is in the bicycle world, even four years from now, he's 22. He's still like just a kid 
in that bicycle world of being a dominant guy or winning major races. Like, I think, I mean, from what it looks like, like it, you got to be about 28 ish is whenever you start to hit your prime in, in that type of racing. And I mean, it can go all the way up to 35 years old. So, and the reason, I, like, I think the reason from what I know about that world is why that is different than like motocross or like GNCCs. It's, it's actually got the champions are a lot younger now than they, like when I won, I was 31. I think the oldest champion may have been Rodney Smith at I think 37, but like motocross, there's nobody 34 years old, 37, 38 years old. That's winning races. And I think it's all because of that. It's super quick movements of this and that. And on the bike, bicycle, a lot of that comes back to like the pedaling and the muscle aspect. So it's like just the being in shape. You have to be in shape on a dirt bike or ATV. There's no doubt about it. But the bicycle world is like the cardio and the legs. And it's like that, that fast twitch stuff that you need on a dirt bike or ATV. It isn't as critical on a bicycle. In my, my two cents. I believe athletes as a whole with the diet process and the training that they've learned, the better athletes are older. I mean, you look at some of the ATV champions, you know, Denton retired when he was 38. Bo Barron on the West coast right now is working on his 11th title. And and I believe he's going to be 43. Wow. Doug Eichner retired when he was almost 50. Wow. I didn't know that one. Yeah. So, I mean, he didn't start really dominating on the uh, in 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 the desert racing and the, and the stuff until he was you know thirty nine, and then he rolled into his forties, and you know KTM wanted him to ride for them, but he had to retire because of an injury, and and, and he was forty eight, forty nine years old. Wow, yeah, that's that's, that's just nuts. Yeah, I know too for. Now I can speak mainly for GNCC or about myself because I've lived it, I've done it. And also historically in GNCC, if you take Rodney Smith out of it, when I think he was 37 when he won his last championship, 37, 38, somewhere in there, he was, I think, the oldest guy. But if you take him out of it, and what I, I have seen is in GNCC, 33, you're good. 34, you're still good. At 35, that's when the, I think it's the split second decisions, you start losing a little bit. Once you get to about 35, 36, that's when you start declining. And I know that's when I started to to decline in, in my results. And I was putting in and working as hard as I could maybe even in other than that 2003 season. I mean, my last two years, 2009 and 2010, <clears throat> I was in as good or better shape than I ever was in my life. So I was in shape. My bike, it could have been a little bit better. Um, but, and at the time, I wouldn't have believed this. I would have argued with you. But looking back on it now and knowing what I know, I actually was declining my Intensity was there, but it's just that that split second, like it's almost like you hesitate 
I mean, just a tiny millisecond, you hesitate when you get above 35, when before that, like even 34, 33, you still got it. But I mean, I was 31 when I won my championship. And I mean, I felt like I was, I could dominate the world. I, you know, I was great on the ATV side. I mean, I started winning what, what when I was 20 was when I won my first championship. Um, and that went, went to, I was 27, but it was, you know, that was, the ATV and the bike thing for me was almost two different worlds because the ATV thing was way easier. I was way more talented on the ATV than I was on the bike. I had to work way harder on the bike, had to ride way more, had to be in better shape, had to watch what I ate way more. So that's why it's almost like two different worlds for me, simply because of the, the talent factor on the ATV was through the roof for me. And I didn't have it on the bike side. So I, that's why for me, it's very interesting. Like, what I know and what I see from the ATV side and the guys that have talent, the guys that aren't as talented, but they might put in more of the work, whether it's on the ATV side or bike side. Like I can, I can watch guys like this weekend. I was talking to a guy, he ran a different rear tire on Sunday. I mean, Saturday was beautiful, great conditions for the ATV Sunday. It rained nasty, muddy. And there was a guy that I talked to on the bike the bike side and he ran a different tire than most of the other guys, but I wasn't sure what he ran until I talked to him after the race. But I told him, I said, he didn't have as much drive up the one hill. He probably lost half a second, three quarter of a second compared to the other guys. And I'd seen it lap after lap. And I specifically called him to find out what rear tire he was using. And when he told me, I'm like, makes perfect sense. Cause like, he just didn't have the drive of the other guys, but it was like the trained eye, like what I saw, not probably 99.9% of the people would have never realized or what I seen happen. Like it wouldn't even register them, but it's being around it every day forever. It was easy for me to pick up on. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it all comes back. I guess I got away from the initial question of the, you know, being older and, you know, like those Eichner and Bo Barron, those guys. I mean, my hat's off to them. I mean, I still have people tell me, I should race, you should race. I said, I don't want to race because I, I, my brain knows what I'm capable of and what I used to do, but my body can't keep up. So that's why I'm like, I just got to take it easy sometimes. Perfect example of that is not this, it would have been two weeks ago, two weekends ago, there was a uh, U.S. Sprint Enduro 20 minutes from my house and it was a three-day event saturday sunday monday it was labor day weekend is when it was i went there on saturday there was eight different tests was two tests but you run each one four times i ran seven tests and i had over a four minute lead in my class and after the seventh test i loaded my bike up and got in my street clothes and we were parked right by the where you go into the loading the the chute and the guys come up in my class and the other class are like what are you doing i'm like i didn't feel like riding and they're like you was winning i said yeah i'm here for fun guys like i'm here for fun to try and stay in a little bit of shape be in tune with my guys to understand if they're talking about a tower suspension whatever i know i can't go as fast as them but i still want to be in tune with it and i'm here for fun that last test it's super dusty in the woods. There's roots, there's trees, 
it wasn't going to be fun. So I loaded it up and they're like, I can't believe you did that. I said, because it wasn't going to be fun. So I wrote seven out of eight tests and gave up the win on that first day. But again, I was just there for fun. And I, but I, cause I know like I can be so competitive and I'll be like, yeah, I know there's a root there, but I'm still going to gas it. Like the old, the old Barry Hawk wants to come out sometimes and be just like, just go on, just hold on a little bit more. But I'm like, it's okay. Don't do it. I don't have to do it anymore. I'm not getting a paycheck for this anymore. Okay. Let's have fun. I want to ask you a couple last questions um, about your role and what you just brought up about staying in tune with your guys. Um, when I was Doug Eichner's mechanic, we raced the same machine. We ran the same tires the same shocks, the same motor package, so that I was out riding the machine and doing all these things so that when I would come back and set his machine up or he would come and tell me something, I already knew exactly what he was talking about because I I just I just got off. Yep. In your words, the importance of what they see from you with the knowledge you have of what they're telling you. If you understand the question. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. So, I mean, I could go in so deep into this. I'll, I'll try not to, but a perfect example of what you're talking about is it was two years ago. Um, there was a local race and we got with the landowners and we wanted to, this is, so this has been in 2020 and Ricky Russell was my, one of my factory guys. And we were, this was around April, I think. So we were a few races in and he kept wanting to change stuff on the bike, change stuff, change stuff, suspension, triple clamps. So we had this local race on a Sunday coming up. So Ricky, I told Ricky, come up here. I will test with you rather than go to California or have people fly in. Like, let's me and Ricky figure this out. So he came up on a Friday. We tested at our race shop on Saturday. We made some pretty big changes suspension-wise to his bike. He goes out, and he was really happy with it. He goes to the race on Sunday and was barely beating the A guys. He won the overall, but he barely beat the A guys. He should have beat them by five minutes, but he barely beat them. So he, And I'm watching him. I'm like, man, the bike doesn't look that good. So he comes in. He's like, yeah, the bike, I was scared here. I was doing this, I was doing that. So at that point, I go to the race promoter. And can we talk to the landowner? Can we test here tomorrow? They weren't going to fix a track, nothing. It was a local event. Yep, got all lined up. Next day, we went back there. It was just Ricky and I. And we had two bikes that were identical other than we had different. The main thing we were testing was triple clamps and suspension, forks and shock. We had tires too, but that was at the end. anyhow. We start going back and forth, and I tell Ricky, he wants to run X triple clamp. I want him to run Y triple clamp, and it was a different offset. So we start doing, I'm doing lap times, and I'm like, Ricky, you are better with this triple clamp, the one I'm telling him I think he should ride, the, that offset. And he's like, yeah, but this one, it's working better over here. And I'm like, you're focused on one little tiny piece of the track, but the other 75% of the track, you're better with, like, you need to eliminate, we need to eliminate that triple clamp. Like, it's it's no good. I hated it. He hated it. 
some spots, but he was fixated on one specific spot. So finally, we get away from the triple clamp he wants to run to the offset clamp that I like, that he ended up running the rest of that year and the next year for the team, end up winning races with that. But once we settled on triple clamp, then we went to the suspension. And we had two vastly different set of forks and shock. There was a matching set, but they were two different directions they went. It was the same thing with the suspension. It was like, I told Ricky, I'm like, Ricky, this bike is so good. This bike is better than any bike I have ever ridden in my life. I can put this bike anywhere I want. I can do anything I want on. I said, the other suspension, like there's spots where it's really good, but then there's spots where I'm scared. And the bike is doing stuff unpredictable. This other stuff, like I can't, this bike will go faster than I want it to go. And he's like, yeah, I know, but you know, I just think it's other stuff. And it's like, he kind of got in his head where he wanted to fix like one specific spot on the stuff that was better overall. The other stuff that wasn't as good overall was better in this one specific spot. It was a technical downhill turn rocks. He liked the stuff that wasn't as good. I'm like, Ricky, your lap times are better with this other stuff. Like you need to get that out of your head. And he's like, well, I want it to work over there. I said, Ricky, what you want is the unicorn setting. It doesn't exist. This bike is so good everywhere. So anyhow, I kind of finally, we tested there on that Monday. We even went back on Tuesday. So we essentially tested for four days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. He finally agreed to run what I was telling him was better, what visually was better when I was watching him, what I felt was better, what everything was better about. But it took me like four days to convince him to do this. But I was there with him and telling him and showing him like stopwatch doesn't lie. Like this right. is better and you have more comfort. So anyhow, once he finally bought in, believed it, he ended up winning a couple of races that year, winning a couple of races next year and still. So that would have been 20. What was it? 21. 21. I'm sorry. It was 2021 when that happened. He won in 21. He won some in 22. Then this year he switched teams, but that same suspension setting, my guys have it and they're still running it right now. It's the same stuff I have on my bike. I can't ride it to its limits because I end up, I don't need to go that fast, but that is still the best suspended bike that I have ever ridden in my life. But it took me a lot of convincing to get Ricky there. And even when Thad Duvall, Duvall and Ryder Lafferty came on board and they start riding, I'm like, you need to ride the suspension. And they're like, yeah, well, what about this? And, you know, I have this spot. And I'm like, look, I'm telling you, that suspension is, it's really good. Like Ricky's one on it. Johnny's one on it. I have tested, I have so many hours on that stuff and turned so many clickers. Like you need to ride that suspension. You turn the clickers what you like, but you can win on that suspension. And if you don't win, you can't blame it on the suspension because I know it's good. So it's almost like they kind of like, if they want to argue with me about it, like I'm proving, I'm showing them facts. Like it's not the suspension. So that's where it's like, and I don't do it. I don't tell them like that cocky sounding. Like I'm just telling them like, it's good, man. You got to believe me. You got to believe in this bike because I know it's good. And I mean, Thad's been injured, but Ryder has ridden it and he's won races on it. So. You know, that's where, but if I wasn't there doing this, 
Ricky would probably have continued spinning his wheels of what triple clamp, what suspension, and he probably wouldn't have. I don't know that he would have had success as quick as he did if I wasn't there to help him point him in the right direction. And I'm not doing that to like, I know what I'm talking about. It's like, I seen it. And to me, it all comes back to the stopwatch. Like you can take, you can take my wife out there who hasn't, she works at a bank, you know, hasn't been around racing in a while, but she could probably say like, I don't know what, what suspension you had on, but that one was faster. And that's what you probably ought to race with. So that's what it comes back to. So. Right. Right. That that's, that's awesome stuff right there. Barry, as always, buddy, you're more than welcome to come back on the show anytime. Uh, I'd love to have uh, any one of your guys or even your son come on, you know, to talk about their, their racing careers. So if, if you want that to happen, all you got to do is, you know, send me a message. Okay. I'll sit down and talk with all of them. We are a motorsports okay. podcast, not just an ATV podcast. Um, yep. And congratulations. Okay. Uh, that is an honor. I appreciate it. It means a lot. The word, I'm, I'm losing the wording that I was trying to come up with, but it, it's an honor that you, you've earned, you know, tenfold. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that are very, very happy for you. And I just, I wanted to tell you myself, congratulations and uh, keep up the good work and keep up what you're doing with the team. Um, you know, the, they need guys like you out there to progress the sport and, you know, just whatever you can do to, to make it grow, brother. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm trying. Yeah. I've been, been around it forever. I don't, I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. So yeah, I love giving back and helping people out. And I mean, heck, like I keep referring back to that guy was helping push on the starting line. Like I just want that guy to get it, help him get his ATV started so he can get out there and go race. You know, I, I just like being around it. And yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate all the kind words and you know, it's, it was really neat. I mean, it didn't matter if it was ATV day or bike day at the race. I mean, I'd be pedaling along or chasing my son, you know, when he was racing or when my guys were out there, I'm, I'm focused on the, you know, whether it was my son or my guys racing, I hear somebody say, Hey man, Hey, congrats Hall of Famer. And I'm like, look, I'm like, Oh, thanks. You know, I don't, I don't even know who they are. A lot of them. And they're just, you know, Hey, you know, congrats. And I, I appreciate it. I wish I could stop and talk to each one, but you know, on the other hand, I got, got a job I got to focus on sometimes. So, but yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who voted for me and thanks for having me on. It's it means a lot and I appreciate it. I know I tend to ramble on sometimes, but definitely appreciate it. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center, with over 17 years' experience. Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, 
and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to duncantechinternational at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 